Welcome to Busy Living So Busy Living So Busy Living Sober. It's episode 263. 263 episodes, and I'm really excited about today's guest because today's guest isn't even really like a guest. She's like my sister. She's like a sister from another mother. She, um, I don't, I was actually thinking about this. I don't remember my life prior to you in it. I could start to cry. And um, I also have to, she's my memory because she remembers me. I knew about a lot of things that happened in our childhood and youth because I have a born forgetter. So I called Jeannie and I'll say, Jeannie, this person said this, what happened? Did we really, did this really happen? <laughs> she always remembers. And so with that, I just have to say, I am really grateful and so excited to have Jeannie Gephardt on today. We've been friends for like 47 years or something ridiculous. Like 37. 30, uh, don't say, yeah. 37 37. Years. 37 years. And, 37 um, years. And we grew up together in St. Louis, Missouri, in Lottie Doo. Lottie Doo. Lottie Doo. And it's ironic because, you know, I want to start with this. Um, you know, they say that it's very hard for people that grew up the way we grew up to get sober. Would you agree with that? 150%. Why do you think that? And well, I think one of the reasons is, I mean, the way I was raised, you know, my grandparents were wealthy and I didn't, I didn't really understand that at the time. I mean, they had this massive house with this big pool and a pool house that is literally twice the size of my condo. Um, my granddad had always had a full keg on tap, you know, like he had that little Michelob tap and we used to take like sneak little drinks of it, you know, full bar. I mean, it looked like you watch in the pool house. It looked like a full bar, you know, it was always like extended family around and everybody always drank, you know, and looked amazing. And there's a photographer called named he's, he's deceased now, but, um, his name's Slim Aaron's and he was famous for photographing wealthy people doing leisurely things. And there's one photograph, I believe it's a house in Palm Springs where these, you know, there's, there are these women by the pool with their red lipstick and their bathing cap on and their, you know, perfect swimsuits and, you know, that's sort of how my life was. And I didn't know any different because, and I, I think I'm speaking for you as well. Like we just had this little bubble, you know, it was like the places we went were like Bush's Grove and maybe Bush Stadium for a game or the MAC downtown. You know, we didn't, you know, every... Now people ask me, oh, did you go to this restaurant as a kid? I'm like, no, my parents just didn't take us. Um, so anyway, uh, liquor was part of our, it was just part of our life. It was part of our culture. It was part of our, you know, summer days. You know, that's how I remember it as a kid. You know, I didn't have, 
a father and a wife beater who, you know, got drunk and slapped my mother around. I didn't see that. I didn't, I, I grew up in a very loving family. Um, you know, my grandfather, and I know Tripp has talked to you about this, you know, our grandfather was so special to us and he actually died. Um, he died of cirrhosis, which we were not told what he died of. We were told and everybody else was told that he died of cancer. I didn't find out years later until um, that he had actually died of alcoholism at 65. And when you think about 65, I mean, I'll be 54. That's like 11 years, right? That's so young. And he was such a vital part of our childhood. Um, but, you know, the, the drinking really started, you know, the sneaking. We were always like, my grandma, my grandma used to have these, she never smoked a cigarette a day in her life. My mom's mom, Gaggy never took a toke. She was not a drinker either, but she would have these bowls of cigarettes out for guests with her little sterling silver lighters. And so my cousins and I would always be like, you know, sneaky the cigs and, you know, sneaky the drinks. And, you know, when it started, when the drinking became like the focus of our weekends at 14, 15, you know, it was all about just whose parents are out of town or whose parents are out or, you know, the best was when someone's parents were divorced, right? Like your parents were divorced and we constantly would go to your dad's house because he was always out, right? So that sort of happened. And then you know, I did graduate. I did go to college. I did fail out the first year. Um, and the reason why I failed out the first year, it's because of drinking and drugs. I just didn't care. I mean, I was there to party. And according to my mother, you know, meet a husband, you know, go meet somebody and bring them back to St. Louis. That was the main focus of college. Um, so you and I have a lot of college memories that, you know, some were good. It wasn't all bad, but most nights ended up in, you know, drunken drama and, you know, drama with boys. And so fast forward, I met my, uh, and I was, you know, alcohol never served me looking back, it never served me. It was, you know, I think for, in college, like going out, it was like a ritual going out and drinking beforehand. But then once the night started to progress, I always like would go home and cry in the corner. You know, I, it just always made me depressed and angry and resentful. It never brought me happiness. And go ahead. I want to say something to that. I want to say something to that because I do remember this. So I have to say, so Jean, and I'm going to just add some, some juice to this. So we grew up in these places where 
you know, we didn't even know about money. We had no idea about money. I was just telling somebody yesterday, like we didn't even know what it meant to have money because we would go and you just charge everything. We had no idea right. that there was a transfer of money for one. For two, we would never really had any reproduction. So I remember when we were young, we like crashed your mom's car. I mean, we totally right. crashed her mom's car, a brand new Wagoneer. And we like totaled. It, totaled it. And we had all these people in the car. And the only person that was hurt was Suri. Do you remember that? She was the only one that was bleeding. I don't even remember she was hurt. She was really Shari. hurt. Oh my God. <laughs> she was just bleeding a little bit. And um, I remember that you would drive down Highway 40. Were, we, were you drinking too or just me? Because I was doing those flips on the roll bar. Yeah. I, I mean, we were always... Uh, you know the drinking and driving there was you know knock on wood nothing that happened I mean didn't you like hit somebody's car once and just yes. like nothing happened nothing happened we never had so any that repercussions was, but that was the problem and so you know maybe fast forward to um you know when I met my first husband Jeff but Two I want to go back before. to you. I want to okay, go, back go back to something that people would maybe relate to. So I yeah. remember, so Jeannie and I went, to, not only did we go to high school, we went to the same, we did everything the same. We've been in, the, as I said, I don't remember her not being in my life. So we went to the same college and we lived together. And at one point when we were living in the apartment on New Mexico and Cathedral, 4,200 cathedral. 4,200 cathedral. 4,200 cathedral. And we had our own bedrooms and Jeannie had her room. And I remember, well, for one, Jeannie never smoked a cigarette all the way through. She smoked a cigarette halfway <laughs> and would put it out. And then I would go smoke the rest of her cigarettes. I would be like, oh my God, you wasted that cigarette. I well, that go. was my nickname. Remember Michael Hunter used to say, would call me half butt because yep. I never smoked a cigarette halfway but you would smoke a cigarette halfway you would put it out but you were sad I remember you always being I was sad. Always. and you would say I'm depressed and I would come in and I bugged the shit out of you do you remember yes I do remember that and I'd be like come on what the fuck's wrong with you get up let's go let's do this let's do that and you'd be like no, I'm sad. I don't want to get up. I don't want to get up. And I would be like, please get up. Let's go do something. And you would be like, just so sad. Back to that depression you were talking about, because yeah. I still remember. And I'm sorry that I was such a haranguer. You know, I've always harangued her. And <laughs> in high school, they called her Levis too. But I'd be like, come on, let's go do this. And she would be like, go away. Leave me alone. I don't want you to bug me anymore. Do you remember that? Yeah. And that was when, I don't think that was so much on reservoir as it was on cathedral. That's where it was cathedral. bad. Yeah. That's where it got really bad. And what do you think that was? And we were what, do you think 20, were we even 21 yet? I think we were 21. That was, yes. That was our last apartment. So we were 21 or 22. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when your depression, I think, took a totally different, you had never gotten to that place it, before we got there. Yeah. It had gotten really bad, but, you know, then I met a boy 
And, you know, I thought that was going to fix everything. And, you know, he and I, it's, it's funny because we've actually like made amends to each other and he's actually sober now too, which is a blessing, but, you know, I'm only going to speak for myself and saying that I always chose people like me. I mean, I wasn't going to date somebody that wasn't a drinker or wasn't a partier, you know, and I met him and I just, it was just before we walked, remember? And I had actually graduated in 91, but I wanted to walk because I wanted the party. And boy, that was a party that night, remember? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I got married and that was just, an absolute shit show if I can use that word it was that was the only way to describe it right um and it just escalated and got worse um and then the drugs started to happen and I had to walk away you know I had to walk away I was like I can't do this but I did not want to look at myself right because I would do you think I and then this is I want to go back to the depression because I do believe that it this is all it all falls under the mental health you know umbrella when especially when it comes to insurance so I always like isn't that great I use an insurance company as my fallback but anyway when you were in that dark depression did you and you met the boy did you ever associate the drinking because again I don't feel like we were raised to think that alcohol was a depression, but depressant. We thought it was an upper, not a depression. Do you think that? Right. Well, so did you think that the alcohol was why you were feeling sad or did that ever, 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 ever come to mind to you? So it maybe came to mind to me, but I was so afraid of letting go of it because I didn't know what life was like. And I'll, I'll jump around a little bit and if that's okay, please. I will jump back to the day that Danya and I, this is when, when Tripp and Kitty got sober, my, my brother and sister. And Danya and I had been to a party at the Lake of the Ozarks and we walked into my parents' house and we, my mother's like, I need to talk to you. And she was so upset. <clears throat> and I, I walked around the corner in the family room and there is just like liquor bottles for days. And I'm like, what's going on here? Are you guys having a party or, you know, did you finally clean the basement out or what? And she said, I I just don't know what to do. She's like, your brother said he's quitting drinking and I just don't know what to do. So he brought all this over and I'll never forget, like it was mom, dad, and who else was at the table sitting outside of my parents' house on the patio? 
and it was sort of like, it was sort of like a betrayal. Like how could he, almost like how could he do this to us, you know? And how old were you and what year was this? 2003. So I was a mother. I was married to my second husband. And that was the first time you had ever realized that alcohol could be a problem and could be removed from your family. Right. And it scared the hell out of me because I was like, oh my God, he's me and I'm him and we are all the same. And it just frightened me. And then when my sister followed suit, you know, it scared me more because I saw like this transformation in them. And, you know, my, my sister met this great guy who she ended up marrying and she was happy. And my brother was happy. And I was like, just, I mocked them almost because I was scared. I was not at that point, I was not ready to let that part of my life be over because I just didn't know, I didn't know any different. I didn't know people could do it. And you know the same thing because you grew up exactly the same way I did. And so I think, I think one of the problems that, you know, we had is, is our, in our family is we never, ever talked about it. You know, it was never discussed and there was no healing. So I want to say something, and because I just like to, I, so from the age of zero to 30, so you were 36 when this happened. You were 30, that's what I was doing my math on my calculator, because God knows I'm not good at math. So you were 36 years old, from zero to 36, you've been drinking and doing all this stuff. You had battled depression. I don't think you ever were dealt with that. And I don't think you ever could deal with the drinking until this day. So from zero to 36, everything, all you drank all the time. And you think that a different guy, cause you mentioned it was your second husband. So a different guy could make you better, not anything else. It was just a relationship because if you got that MRS misses, yeah. then everything would be okay. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So 13 to 36, no one had ever said anything to you because everybody was too ashamed to talk about this big, large, like, did you ever even think alcohol was a problem at all prior to this? Like when you were married to your first husband, I don't know if we want to say his name, but we'll just say Jay, because that's his first letter. No. Um, well, Jay is my fiance now, so maybe not Jay. Okay. The, <laughs> How about the, JP? JP. Okay. JP. Um, so, I, I blamed, no, I did not blame the alcohol. I, I blame the drugs, you know, because I wasn't going to blame alcohol because why do that? Because then I was going to have to be forced to look at my own behavior. And I did not want to look at my own behavior at all. You know, so you got married to this JP. I remember the big show. I remember the big show and the big party it was. 
And so then you got married to him. And how long did that marriage last? Um, our relationship lasted like seven years, but we were only married for less than a year. And what so happened? it was like very like, <clears throat> well, you know, it was two alcoholics and, and addicts living together. It was push pull. It was like, you know, Eminem and Kim Mathers. It was like break up, fight, get back together, break up, fight. Um, you know, throwing things. I mean, it was just, it was just drama. It was drama. And that's what happens when you have, when you have two alcoholics come together, it's like, and you played house. Healthy. Yes. I played house because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. You know, I thought I was supposed to grow up and get married and have kids. That's according to my mom. And then according to my dad, you know, career. So I had a lot of conflicting advice growing up, I guess. But I really wanted, I really wanted to be a mom. I knew that. And, you know, thank God I did not become a mom with JP. JP. You know, I so when that ended, blessing. did your drinking escalate when that ended? Or what would you say happened with your drinking? Because did you move out right away? What happened? Well, I like to run away from things. So um, what specifically happened is it was, we were living in Nashville. It was things were falling apart. He, I had just gotten fired. I think he had gotten fired too for missing too much work. But again, wasn't the alcohol, it wasn't because we were drinking, right? Right. Um, and then my grandma died. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this is my way out. This is my way out of this because I don't like confrontation, but I like to run. I just like to run away. So my, my baby brother, Luke, um, lived right across the street from us. He was at Vanderbilt getting his master's. And so I called Luke and he said, just pack a bag, excuse me. Um, you know, I'll pick you up. We're going to go home. And I was like, okay, cool. And I remember when I got home to St. Louis, and I got, I walked in, my mom was with somebody in the living room, <clears throat> excuse me. And I just like fell to my knees and I said, I can't do this anymore. I got to come home, you know? And again, I did the geographical cure a lot. So I thought that that was going to fix me, right? Come back home, settle down, meet a nice guy start a family and things will just eventually fall into place. And that's kind of what happened. So you went home to your childhood bedroom that you've always had over the garage and you had that bed. So you leave him. There's no real drama. Somebody just writes a check to somebody else and it just goes away. Yep. It just went away. And 
I ended up, I did get a job. I got my, my own apartment. And then I met my second ex-husband and who, you know, I'm really grateful for because I have my kids, I have my babies, um, and I wouldn't have them without him, but he, you know, he was like me and it just, I think you know, I think a lot for a lot of mothers that I've spoken to, especially stay-at-home moms, I was a stay-at-home mom for a long time, is they just feel like they've lost themselves and they don't have a purpose in life. And I kind of feel like that was where I was. Like, I felt like I was failing as a mom all the time. I think that has a lot to do with the anxiety from drinking. You know, I would wake up in the morning just with that pit in my stomach. You know, like, what am I going to fuck up today as a mom? What, what, what am I going to do wrong? Because something's going to go wrong. And it was always that fear. And it just got progressively worse. It, in the meantime you know, here's my brother, God bless his soul, like sitting down with me and calling me on the phone and having heart to hearts with me and saying, I really think it's time for you. I really think that you'd benefit from this lifestyle. And I was so scared. I think at that point, I think from like the time he got sober until the time I got first, I first got sober in 2009, um that was six years so for six, six years, years so six years and now I want to go back and go back to in 2003 when your brother and sister sat down and the alcohol's there and your and your mom's sitting there and she's like I have to talk to you and you see all this alcohol and now how many children did you have at that point I had two you had two children and was your marriage good or what was your marriage like? Did you drink a lot together as a couple? What was that like? We drank every night. I mean, every night, like Sunday morning, I would set up like a Bloody Mary bar, you know, thinking that was cool in my own family room. You know, I just always had to drink and it really. And you were a beer really, drinker. Do you remember, weren't you a beer drinker for a long time? Yes, I was a beer drinker and I had the most bloated face. I look at pictures of myself that I find and it was just like this big flotation device. Like, did you somebody drink when you were pregnant? Me. I never, you know what? I thank God, like my body just the thought of alcohol I did turn my stomach I did I was about at my sister's wedding in 2006 I think I was like seven months pregnant maybe six or seven months pregnant and I did have like a little sip of champagne I was pregnant with grace but the thought of alcohol when I was pregnant turned my stomach which was good right because 
So, so now you, so I'm going to, again, go back to the 2003. So 2003, you have two children, you're 36 years old, your family of origin, which has always, you've always been very tight. You've had a very tight family. I mean, you guys are very tight. You've always been tight. I mean, your mom and dad, I love to death and your brothers and sisters, as you know, I adore. They're like my family too. So when we think back to that day, so you, now you have this husband and these two kids and go back to that day that your mom, you walked into the house with your sister-in-law, Donya is your sister-in-law for those that don't know. So Donya, your sister-in-law and yourself walk into your family home that you grew up in with your mom there and all this alcohol and your mom's devastated and you're kind of like he hasn't like he's breaking up with his girlfriend, right? It felt like it sounds like the way you were talking about it, like he had this affair, but the affair was with alcohol that he was breaking up with. And now it's sitting that you all have been having an right. affair with. Yeah. Right. You know, it was like it was it was almost like a loss in a way. You know, it was it was like as crazy as that sounds. Well, you used the word earlier betrayal right and then and then you know I remember when I got sober for the first time you know I really started to understand like because I never you know growing up I never put myself first I never put my own feelings first and I remember like realizing well they're just trying to better their lives and they're happier but it pissed me off because I wasn't I wasn't ready to let go yet so it just perpetuated the drinking even more does that make sense it just it doesn't make sense and if anyone is listening to this that's not an alcoholic they're like that doesn't make sense but to us it makes sense so you had all of, so at this point at family functions, you would start to go to these family functions now, Christmas, Thanksgiving, and your brother didn't drink and his wife didn't drink. No, she did drink. Didn't well, she? yeah, she didn't get sober until way later. Okay. So your brother didn't drink and your sister and her husband didn't drink. Right. But you would go into this and you would go and everybody, would you and your husband be drinking with your mom and dad? Like, how was that at a family function? Like um, at Christmas, at Christmas dinner? You know, I think, I think I always felt like we were being monitored in a way, which we probably were, and that's okay. Um, but like they were counting your drinks, <laughs> probably so. And they didn't, you know, they didn't realize that I had, you know, a six pack before I left the house, but yes, I think that, I think it was awkward, but I think eventually, you know, before it got really bad, I think I just tried to ignore it. So did you, you know, spend, did, would you spend those six years? Did you ever have those feelings? Cause my siblings also got sober way before I did. And um, unfortunately they're not sober today, but they did get sober. And I remember having thoughts all the time 
am I an alcoholic? Am I an alcoholic? Am I an alcoholic? Did you ever have those feelings during those six years? Constantly, constantly. And I never, I never wanted to believe that that's what it was. Never. I never wanted to admit this is the problem. You know, this is why I'm depressed. This is why I'm feeling this way. Because you, know, you were and it, still feeling, because you were, now were you, my question is, were you still feeling the depression that you had felt from that when we were living on that, in that building, our senior year of college? Were I was feeling that yes. all the way t- till this time and the anxiety and all that. Was that still going on? Yes. And I was actually on um, antidepressants, which don't, you know, PSA, this is not a medical opinion, but it's kind of a medical fact. You cannot take antidepressants and drink alcohol. You should not take antidepressants and have one drink because it doesn't work. It's just like, you know, it's just like somebody having a a back injury and continuing to work, but just keep taking Advil. You know, you got to rest it. You got to let the medicine work. And I, I didn't get that. You know, I didn't get that. I just kept trying different antidepressants. Nothing really worked, but you know, God damn, if I would, I was not going to admit that this liquid chemical was causing all my problems in my life. So you were 42, were you 42 when you first surrendered the first time? Um, let's see, 41, 41. So what, tell us what happened that first time. So my, I call it the gourmet to go intervention (laughs) because my brought my sister and my mom came over with gourmet to go Arnold Palmer's. And they said, we know you're depressed because at this point I was just staying home and drinking, you know, and my ex-husband was like taking the kids everywhere. I just wanted to be, it was the point where I just wanted to be left alone so I could drink and smoke. That's all I wanted to do. And that's what you did. And now we're, now we go back to like when we were in college, that senior year, when I would go in and bug you, it was like that same thing was going on, but you, now you had a husband, you, you put all the players in that you wanted to have but you, but you're still sitting there the same girl, but I didn't want it. You know, a friend of mine, a friend of mine who's um, sober, she talks in meetings about how she just had this like fantasy about getting a studio apartment in Clayton and just drinking by herself and leaving her kids with her ex-husband. That's kind of where I was mm-hmm. maybe not like leaving my kids but it's just, it sickens me to think about it today, you know, that I was at that place. So my sister and mom come over with Arnold Palmer's and they say, we want you to go talk to somebody. And I, my head was 
spinning, Elizabeth. I thought they're going to lock me up in a straitjacket. You know, at this point, I did not know the word alcoholic wasn't mentioned with them. But we go to this place on Manchester Road. It's not there anymore. And we walk in this outside door and I start walking up the steps and it says sober by the sea. And the first thing that comes to my head is the jig is up, dude. The jig is up. It's done for me. Like you're not hiding anything anymore. You're done. And so there's this guy, Tib, T-I-B. His name's Tib and he's still around. And he's an interventionist and a drug counselor. And I talked to him for what was like two hours. And he's like, this is the deal. And I was just alone in the room with him, nobody else. The family wants you to go away, yada, yada, yada. So fast forward, I go home, I pack a bag and I left. Like I got on a plane to California to go to rehab. I left my kids, I left, you know, my life. And it was an amazing experience for me. I went to my first AA meeting out there. Um, I literally, excuse me, <clears throat> I was a beer drinker. So I lost like 30 pounds in a month doing nothing but walking on the beach. It just literally fell off my body. It was just all water weight. And, um, but I came home to the same light. And how long did you stay there? I was there for two months. Okay. So you're there for two months. And did you see your kids? Did they come out and participate no. in the family program or anything? Did your husband? No, they didn't. Yes, he did. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but I came home. I don't want to get too much into this because I don't want to talk about him too much. But um, I came home to the same life, you know, and it wasn't nothing was really discussed. Nothing was really talked about. It was just like, you go fix yourself. You take care of yourself and your problem. And so I was about six months sober and the alcohol slowly, because he's a big drinker, started coming back in the house. And I said, this is not okay with me. And he said, well, the counselor said, yada, 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 that I could bring it back in the house. And so that, that just sort of started, you know, a marriage that was in trouble go way down. So I stayed sober for 14 months and I just turned to what I knew that was going to relieve this, right? And, um, <clears throat> you know, there was, I, I'm not going to get into the situation, but there was a lot of drama that night and I ended up walking away. Um, and, you know, it was really hard for me 
because I was thrown into this world of being a single parent. I hadn't worked in 10 years, you know. Um, I want to go back to something really quick. Yeah, go ahead. Because I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. You're not rambling at all. And I think that it's because I think there's some things that I think that are so imperative that you brought up. And that is the one thing is that when you go away to treatment and you go away for two months and you've left your family and you're in this safe haven in this beautiful spot and the people do it all the time, right? They go to these safe havens all over the country on these beautiful places on beaches and it's beautiful palm trees, life is fabulous. And you're living in this sheltered area and you don't have any bills. You don't have any diapers to change. You have no homework to do. You have no dinner to make. You have no laundry to do. You have no cleaning of the house to do. You have none of this stuff. And then you go and you integrate yourself back into this place and everything there is the exact same same way right. as, as it was when you left from when you left but you came back with this new set of glasses but nobody else had the glasses and no one supported the glasses that you were seeing and no one supported anything that you were doing and you're supposed to succeed and i believe that's a crux for why most people don't stay sober is because you come back into the situation that you're supposed to, you were supposed to take all these tools you learned from this toolbox you bring the toolbox in and everybody's like that does not look like the hammer that i have that does not look like the wrench i have and um it's the recipe for disaster there's there's no support and and it becomes I mean that's why so many relationships fall apart when somebody comes back and tries to get sober because you want to go and you want to get sober and you want to do these things and your spouse is like why are you going to this meeting did you go to meetings at that point or no I did I went to a lot of meetings and how did he like that you know I don't I don't think he minded so much, but it was such a, it it was so separate. And I think the problem with, with um, our marriage was that, you know, we were drinking buddies. That's what we did. That's all we did, you know? And it was just very hard to, um, I knew I wasn't going to stay sober in that marriage. I just, I knew it. Does that make sense? Totally. So then you, so 14 months sober, you leave the marriage. I left the marriage and, you know, once again, I moved out. I got a rental house down the street um, from my ex, which was pretty interesting, but you know, fast forward drinking. I stayed sober, you know, so I maintained like, I would get these periods of sobriety, like a year, 13 months, 14 months. I couldn't seem to make it over that hump because I was always looking for something else outside me to fill that void, you know, whether it be a job or a man. And I was scared. I was so scared because I, I hadn't worked. I wasn't getting a lot of money from my ex for support. And 
you know, I was scared. I had three kids under eight. And I think a lot of the relapse just had to do with the fear and anxiety about the future. I could never like stay in the day, you know, like, let's just make it through the day. That was not, that was not on my radar ever. It was always like, well, what's my life going to be in three years or four years? And I got to have this, I got to have that, you know? Yeah. I think that it makes a lot of sense. So you stayed and, um, you, I'm just for time and everything. I've had you on here for a long time. Right. But, um, I'll fast forward. So you stayed, um, so you were in and out and in and out for how many years? So my sobriety date is September 14th, 2018. And this last time like really scared me um and it really scared me for two reasons and it's kind of a dichotomy but it scared me a lot because it didn't work does that make sense to you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But and it was almost our like listener, explain that to our listeners what that meant that didn't work anymore so I mean you kind of I'm not gonna get into this but you kind of know the situation that I was in and I knew that it, it was not serving my sobriety at all and um you know something had happened and I remember that feeling of irritability discontent um I was probably hangry at the time and I opened my fridge. I was alone and there were these two old, old Michelob Ultra Slim cans in my fridge and I just reached for it and I drank them both and I was like, this sucks. It doesn't work. It doesn't solve your problems. You got to be done with this. And I'm so grateful that 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 happened that night because it really jolted me into a reality that I never saw before because my relapses had always been really bad. And I could have gone up the street and gotten more liquor easily. And I stopped myself or God stopped me, you know, and said, you can't do this anymore. And so that was my sobriety date. And I can't explain why it's different, but I know that the things that I've been through in the last couple of years that if I can make it sober through them and get through them, then I know it's going to be okay. Because I know that me picking up a drink means losing everything. I mean, I have, today I have the best relationship with my kids that you know, I never would have had if I was drinking ever. 
you know, they come to me with their concerns and their worries and I'm able to be there and be that parent who can listen and just give them advice and not bark orders at them and say, this is what you need to do. Um, because when I was drinking, I was not a good parent. So I think I've rambled so much. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think you've rambled. I think that your story is really relatable because so many people that come from where we grew up, it's never the answer. And um, I think that really, you know, it, it's a program that a lot of people do relapse. It's not a question of if you're going to re. it's like, it's sometimes part of the, you know, it's sometimes part of what happens to people is that they have to go out and they have to come back and they have to go out and they have to come back. And now you've been back here for three years. How is your depression? Cause I want to talk about that. Cause I think that is such a huge thing for one, for women, it's like getting depressed is huge. Um, dealing with life on life's issues is huge. Going through relationships is huge staying sober. I mean, you've been single for a lot. I mean, and I, I know you're engaged now. Congratulations. But um, going, but going through this whole thing, dating, staying sober while dating is hard, right? It's hard, especially if you're with a drinker. It's hard. It is very hard to stay sober if you're dating somebody who drinks. And then how do you, how have you dealt with your mental stuff since, since this, you know, you've had it for pretty much probably maybe born with it, just like your alcoholism. How is your, how's your depression today? I mean, I feel like my mental health is really in check these days. Um, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that I, I did have a little battle with depression when I first hit menopause, but getting on the hormones really helped. Um, and I don't, I currently am not seeing a therapist. I probably will go back to it, but I have not needed to take antidepressants in a long time. And it's not like I'm against it because if I, if there's a point where I feel like I need them, then I'll take them. I'm not one of these, like, you can't take, you know, Advil or whatever. Um, you know, I've known people in the program that a lot of people in the program take antidepressants or anti-anxiety that are not addictive. Um, and I feel like if you need it, you need it and it's there for you. It's available, but right now I'm not. So, okay. That's amazing. Okay. And, yeah. and you participate in 12 step meetings. I do. I do. Um, some on Zoom and most in person. I have a meeting um, that meets every day of the week, every day of the year, actually, at 7 a.m. It's at a church, you know, a few miles down the street. And I've, you know, some of the same people are there that I met when I first started going there in 2009. You know, and I've seen people come in and out and whatever, and it's their journey, but I've, I've made, I'd say 90% of my friends are in the program that I met 
you know, and it's crazy. And every time I turn around, there's somebody from our past, from our childhood that walks in the room and I'm like, Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. And you know, that's a blessing because I can't, I literally cannot count on my hands how many people that I personally know that have died of alcoholism and liver failure and, you know, just died from alcoholism. It's really sad. Your story's amazing. You're amazing. I have to tell you, you. I'm going to have you come back on because we do talk about fun things sometimes. And now that we've gotten your story out of the way, next time you come on, we can talk about fun things that we think that are going on in the media and that sort of thing. Crazy crazy shows and that sort of thing. But um, if you, somebody's listening and they have had the same sort of experience. So you traveled this nine years of going in, out, in, out, and doing that sort of thing. And no judgment, of course, there's no judgment for me. What is your advice to somebody who's out there that's had this, a similar experience and they feel just so just lost and empty? Cause I know that's how you were feeling. And how do you help? What would you, what words of encouragement would you say to that person that would maybe help them? What do you think is some of the key ingredients to helping you get to where you are today? I think just keep going and pick up the phone. You know, when I, when I was in my relapse cycle, I didn't want to I didn't want to bother anybody. I didn't want to burden anybody. And I didn't want to pick up the phone. And now, like if I'm having a bad day or something or a bad moment, I pick up the phone and I call people, you know, I call my friends in AA and I'm like, oh my God, this happened or that happened. And then we sort of talk it through. You just have to pick up the phone and go to meetings. And, you know, if, find people that gravitate towards people that have what you want because I saw when I walked into these AA meetings I saw women I'm like oh my god they have their shit together like they've gotten divorced they've lost everything they and they're happy so find the strong women in the room or if you're a man you know get numbers, call people, go to meetings, do the steps, do what you have to do, mend your relationships. And, you know, the promises come true. You will find that. I never knew what that meant when I first got sober. I thought the promises were new job, new house, new car, new boyfriend. (laughs) I didn't understand that it's just, it's a sense of peace. It's not waking up feeling like you're going to vomit every morning because you're so anxious. It's that place of peace where you're in the grocery store and you're afraid you're going to walk into somebody that you have a conflict with and you don't want to talk to, right? Or waking up in the morning and not having to look at your phone to see who you texted or remembering what you said to your wife the night before or your girlfriend or your spouse, what, whoever, you know, that was, that was me. And now it's just, it's, you know, life is life, but it's so much better when you don't have to numb it. 
And you've been through a lot this year because maybe in the past, it's been, yeah, a year since your family like picked up and moved that whole thing right. of origin. I mean, my whole said. family packed up and left my childhood house and left. And my sister, my sister just had a baby, you know, and I miss that baby. And I, I miss, you know, I miss them all. And it's been so hard, but, you know, I stayed sober through all of it. And it's just such, it's such a blessing. And I'm so, I'm so grateful that I now have, you know, all my siblings are sober, you know, I mean, that's like such an amazing thing. Your you know, family you just, got better together. How awesome is that? I know. I know. And I just have to, you know, thank my brother Tripp, who's been such an amazing light on my cry. Um, He's been such an amazing light in my life and I probably wouldn't be alive without him today. Wouldn't. So I love you. You're just, I <laughs> 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 cry. Oh my gosh. And my so sister. And my sister. Yeah. Because um, I know they'll be listening to this, but. <laughs> Well, you're a shining light so and you've always thank been, you. and you've always been a shining light and everybody knows that you've always been genie, 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 and she's, you're a love. And to be able to see you where you are today, I'm just so excited for you. I'm so, and I hate to say I'm proud of you because I, I, but I am, I'm proud of you. And I am like lucky to call you one of my oldest, bestest friends. And um, I love you so much. And this journey's not easy. It's fucking not easy. Excuse my French. And it doesn't matter no, if you it's if you it's come hard. With a, it's I mean really hard. Yeah, it's hard, but it's it'd be so much harder and so much more difficult if if I were like a slave to the bottle again. I just I can't even imagine. I can't imagine what my life would be like. I can't. And hopefully you'll never have to look at that again. I'm so yep. excited you came on. And I swear to God, you're coming Thank back. Thank you. We've got to talk okay. about the housewives on this one point because I think people would love our perspective. And um, I yes. love you to death. And um, everybody who's listening, please reach out with any questions, comments. You can always reach me at busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y, at busylivingsober.com, which is B-U-S-Y or Elizabeth at elizabethchance.com. And if you have a message for Jeannie, I will ship it right off to her. I don't even have to read it. You could say, this is for Jeannie in the subject line. <laughs> and I won't even look at it. And um, please know that you're not alone. We all know what it's like. And this journey is can be sometimes make us feel alone, but please know you're not alone, right, Jean? Yep. You're it's so alone. good. You're so amazing. I Try love you so much. I love you so much. I love my listeners. If you like what you like, if you like what we have to say, please subscribe. And until next time, keep getting busy, living, living, living sober. So busy, living sober. Okay, everybody, <laughs> take care. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.